Kyburn Place. edition of Still on the Race, the podcast about running, except for when it's not. The official start to spring. It was a big week. At least it was a big week in the way that I measure things. The spring brings with it the annual ritual that I begin counting down towards soon after the holiday season ends. During the dark winter months, it's something that I look forward to every year. It might not seem like much to most people, but the coming of spring means that I get a new pair of running shoes. Of all the hobbies that one can follow, running may well be the cheapest that one can pursue. We'll avoid examining what that says about me. My rhythm is that I buy a new pair of road shoes every year, and my old shoes move down the pecking order to the treadmill and walking paths. The pair that has been filling that role become my yard and work shoes. After three years of abuse, they are finally tossed, and the cycle continues. Since we joined the condo living crowd, where little work is outside, the last stage of life has been to be left behind at my oldest son's house so that I don't have to drag shoes 500 miles across the country just in case I find time to slip and run. There are also the periodic replacements of my winter and trail shoes, but that's done on a need basis and can't measure up to my spring ritual. My road shoes are the shoes that I will live in for the next year. This year was particularly satisfying as I returned to Solomon after a year of fighting foot problems in a shoe specifically designed for my ailments. It was like meeting up with an old friend, although, after a year away, I silently felt the need to apologize for wearing another brand. As I mentioned in my first episode, I am loyal to very few things. But Solomon is at the top of that list. In the end, I didn't wind up with the most expensive or newest model, but settled on one that fit me perfectly, and $129 later, it felt like Christmas morning. Fitting with the coming of spring, this week also brought the first t-shirt and shorts day. For me, this should be a national holiday. To be sure, it's still April in Michigan, and there will be more cold weather ahead. But winter has officially lost its grip. I am once again back out on the streets, albeit new streets. When considered along with all of life's changes, this year feels symbolic. The pandemic is still a pressing weight hanging over everything, but we can see hope. The people are merging from their exile, and it brought me back to where my head was one year ago. At the time, I couldn't know how looking back on those days would feel. So much has changed, both for the world and for me personally. My Empty City dark days of COVID and the streets of my city are empty. We're only weeks into whatever this is, and although there will be some occasional glimpses of hope, a new group is spewing hate at that woman from Michigan, as if there isn't enough darkness in the world. And it feels like lasting hope may be slipping away. 
and stepped on my building, the largest in the center of the city, and being a creature of habit, looked both ways at the empty streets before stepping off the curb. The road that runs in front of our condo is one of the busiest in the city. Rising toward the medical mile, it feeds one of the best medical centers in a mid-sized city. Thousands of employees converge on the space every morning. The last two summers were particularly painful as the primary east-west expressway was shut down for construction and traffic was routed in front of our building and led to an unending tangle of frustrated drivers. It was constant gridlock. Cutting across the road for a run was an obstacle course as cars tried to take advantage of even the smallest openings. The key to making it through the labyrinth in one piece was making eye contact with the driver before moving forward. My commute home from work was unchanged, but making it from the exit ramp to the parking garage was a daily battle filled with horns and angry outbursts. Like so many cities, infrastructure was unable to absorb the traffic that it was never designed to battle. This morning, the streets were deserted. I could hear cars in the distance, but there were none in sight. Halfway across, I stopped in the middle of the four lanes, looked both directions, and then turned and began running down the middle of the road. I kept glancing over my shoulder, but there was nothing. It was the closest that I would ever come to running through the streets after an apocalypse, and I felt a strange sense of unease as I crossed over the bridge and moved toward the heart of downtown. A quarter of a mile later, I returned to the sidewalk and began looking for new parts of the city to explore, as I often did. Like everyone else, I wanted my city to return to life, reconnecting with my friends in the neighborhood's bars and restaurants. Many of my co-workers find it hard to imagine living in the heart of a city, but it's home for me. I miss the smell of the buses and groups of friends blocking the entire walkway, oblivious to everyone else. I treasured the silence, but I missed the noise. I just didn't realize it before. Whenever we do finally return, what will be the cost? What will we have lost? Building Miles Tonight will be a test run. Since injuring my hip, I have moved to shorter runs, and I have put in a lot less miles than were on the schedule. Combine that with moving and my distaste for the cold, and it's been several months since I pushed anything beyond four miles. The excuses are now gone. Although I can still feel my hip, there is a growing confidence that it's going to hold up without significant medical intervention. The move and all the projects that come with relocating are now behind us. The weather is no longer an obstacle that I can use as an excuse. Regardless, I am a bit apprehensive. I will be following a sweeping five-mile path that I've laid out after looking at Google Earth. It's a bit sketchy, but I'm fairly confident that I can pick my way along the country road and then wind my way through several subdivisions before a brief stretch along a highway and then finishing back onto rural roads. It should be straightforward if I can keep the names of the streets in the right order. But I do have recent memories of being lost in strange places and needing to map my way back as I turned a short run into a long one. My other concern is the unknown. The plan is to turn out of the subdivision and make my way east, meaning that the first mile of the run will largely be downhill. The issue is that at some point I will be climbing hills, and since I have never scouted out the area in the direction I am headed, every turn will be a mystery. Am I in for a slow incline over a long period? A steep path that I have to inch up? 
or will it be a series of rolling hills that gradually brings me back to where I started? A tale of two runs. The temperature was in the low 60s as I set off. Turning right out of the subdivision, I tried to lock into a comfortable pace even as I moved down the long hill, holding back to conserve strength. At the bottom, I turned left on a rural road that I had traveled down a short distance on a couple of earlier runs and learned an annoying lesson. During many of my runs in western New York, I found it uncomfortable that many cars barely made an effort to give me any space. On several occasions, I found myself sliding down to a lawn or a field when it was obvious the driver had no intention of missing me by more than a matter of a few feet. I missed running through the city, where even on the busiest days, drivers went out of their way to make sure I was safe. Michigan was different, or so I thought, until I found myself running along rural roads near my new home and found myself routinely shoved to the side. Turns out, Michigan wasn't different. I was now running and reading road signs as I tried to picture the route in my head. The empty roads that I had burned into my memory turned out to be new housing developments built into rolling hills. It left me wondering how we had missed these neighborhoods when we looked for homes less than a mile away. I finally spit out along a road that I was familiar with before turning back toward home along a busy highway that had a wide sidewalk that led up the soft incline. Leaving the traffic behind, the winding road quickly turned into rural America. The houses were old, tired, and pushed back away from the road. Silent and crumbling, I was instantly on high alert. I knew these roads from my youth. I ran and I scanned. It's every runner's dread. Dogs. There are certain areas where they appear most often, and this road had all the signs, even if it's difficult to articulate what that means. It's one of the rare times when I look up from the surface at the world around me and pick up the pace. In the end, there were no dogs, just hill after hill after hill. When I finally emerged onto the road that led home, there was less than a half a mile remaining. I needed to begin logging these longer miles because there was a race on the calendar. Toward the end of the summer, I had signed up for a race through the woods. My son was going to take on a 50K, and I was going to tackle a half marathon. It was probably unreasonable, which is likely why we signed up for it. As I finally reached the driveway, the loop was as hilly and challenging as I had imagined, but it was in the books. A few days later, I was ready for round two. The temperature was in the low 80s, but cloudy with a nice breeze. My plan was to go clockwise on the same path. It would leave me with nearly a mile-long climb to finish, but I knew what to expect and was convinced that I could improve my time. It would give me targets in both directions to shoot for throughout the rest of the season. And even though the time shouldn't make any difference based on the elevation being exactly the same, that's not how it works. I set off. Less than a mile in, the weather hit a switch. The wind died, the clouds cleared, and the first run of the summer heat made its arrival. I regretted my decision not to bring along any water, but there was a lot of shade cover for the first two miles, and I increased my pace, confident that it wouldn't be a problem. When I popped out of the tree cover and swung along the highway, the heat was oppressive. I backed slightly off my pace as I entered the one extended flat section of the run. At the three-mile mark, my right side began to ache, my left calf tightened, and I pulled back a little bit more, aware that the run had just turned into a battle. At three and a half miles, a rare moment of wisdom prevailed 
and I moved to a trot. At four miles, I knew that I was in trouble. What bothered me was that I had been defeated. The heat, the miles, the hills had won, and I finished the last mile alternating between running and walking. Cutting a run short is the ultimate concession, and through most of my life, I would have run myself sick. But on that day, I became a rational adult, at least for the moment. There would have to be another day. Full cardiac arrest. Being rational when it comes to my health has never been one of my strengths. So walking was no small act. I don't like to give in, and even worse, never like to admit it when anything is wrong. It was probably best captured the time that I went into full cardiac arrest. Well, sort of. My wife can be very persistent, and although I had managed to avoid getting the heart monitor that my doctor had prescribed almost two months earlier, even I knew that it was just a matter of time before I was wired up. I had made it to the new year and managed not to drag around a monitor throughout our Christmas vacation with the kids in Florida, but now that we were back in the gray, frozen January north, I found myself sitting in a small room at a hospital while a tech hooked me up and explained how to operate the electronic apparatus that was to be attached to me for the next two weeks. It would be awkward and inconvenient, but I could make it through 14 days. It turned out the problem wasn't the next two weeks. The problem was the first 15 minutes. It was a rather non-obtrusive medical device, but my vanity kicked in. I can't imagine why, because I can't even pretend that anyone would have noticed or cared. But I didn't want to have to explain the wires to everyone I ran across. Once I sized up the device, and rather than attaching it to my belt, as it was designed for, I stuffed it in my pocket, where it was a lot less likely to be noticed. Heart monitors were worn by old people. At least that was my perception, and I wanted to avoid being perceived as such. There was nothing special about the device that I was given. There are several dozen different models produced in China for giant American pharmaceutical companies and then sold to hospitals at obnoxious profit margins that are exponentially multiplied before they show up on your bill from the non-profit hospital. The good thing is that I'm not bitter about flushing money down the toilet for a test that will do nothing for me other than make me feel old which is how it wound up in my pocket. The medical purpose of the device was to capture all the irregular moments that one experiences throughout the prescribed period. For example, if you feel lightheaded, you can press the button on the device and then scroll down to record what you are experiencing. The event is then recorded and analyzed in an effort to determine if there is a real issue that needs to be dealt with. Additionally, because it's frequently utilized for those with serious heart conditions, if you compress and hold down the button, it sends a signal that the patient has a medical emergency. They can then call your cell or even dispatch an ambulance if you can't be reached. It makes perfect sense. It's a safety feature that can prove life-saving. What they failed to consider was the insecure patient who stuffed it in his pocket and accidentally compressed the button while sitting in the car waiting for a coffee at the Starbucks drive through I was not so patiently waiting in the long morning line when I first heard an annoying beeping noise, which, based on where I just left, should have set off one thought process. However, it set off another. My mechanical abilities are basically non-existent, so any beeping noise when I'm sitting behind the wheel sets off all kinds of internal alarms. One of my great fears in life is that any type of car problem, 
because I am helpless to repair it. So, after ordering my grande cappuccino with extra shot, I started randomly pushing buttons on my dashboard in a pathetic attempt to try and diagnose the problem, hoping that it might disappear, based on nothing. I went so far as to turn the car off and restart it, ironically the same method that I used to address my computer and phone issues. But even that didn't lead me to the obvious source of the sound. It was then that my phone rang. I have a habit of not answering numbers that I don't recognize, assuming that if it's important, they will leave a message. So when the voicemail finally beeped in, I listened in terror as a strange voice on the other end informed me that if I did not immediately reply, they were going to assume that I was in full cardiac arrest and dispatch an ambulance. I sat looking at my phone and at that moment realized where the beeping was coming from. Restarted my car and pulled forward to get my cappuccino. For reasons that I don't fully understand, when I returned the call to let them know that I was okay, I felt compelled to tell them the entire story, all the way down to the details that I ordered my drink with skim milk because I thought that it was healthier. The person on the other end didn't care. They probably cared that I wasn't dead, but probably never expected or wanted to get all the details on why my alarm went off or what I had ordered. We both just needed to get on with the day, and I promised to clip the monitor to my belt like a normal person. After which, I carefully stuffed it back into my pocket. The day after. It's the day after my run. Parts of my body still don't feel quite right, but I'm recovering. It's what happens when we push too hard at any part of life and reality shows up. I'm thinking about my failed run an unhealthy amount of time. Bad weather is moving in, and it may be temporarily forced back to the treadmill. But that is not where my head's at. Regardless of how yesterday ended, the next run will be clockwise. That's the only run that matters. At 60, I may have finally learned to pull back and accept that a run has temporarily defeated me, but I haven't matured enough to completely concede. I'm counting down the days till I have another opportunity to prove myself to no one. Hopefully, this won't become the subject of the next several episodes. Thanks for stopping in this edition of Still in the Race. If you would rather read and listen, much of this content, along with other odd thoughts and observations, find their way to stillintherace.com. Production and editing are here of Trey Jones. You can find him at treyjoneswriter.com. Additional editing and artwork, Astrid Burke. Find them both at babyfeverpodcast.com. I look forward to next time when I hope to have something to say, but don't count on it.